Hey everyone, you're listening to Can You Hear Us Now? Inclusivity in the Media, a podcast dedicated to amplifying the voices of those in marginalized communities who are frequently overlooked in the mainstream media. Each week we discuss new topics in order to promote representation of those who are recurrently silenced or ignored. Our program aims to bring awareness to these issues in order to stimulate inclusivity in the media. Let's get into it. We wanted to start off by acknowledging the land upon which we are recording this podcast. We are currently in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, which is the ancestral land of the Lumbee, Eno, Shikori, Saponi, Oganichi, and Tuscarora peoples. This acknowledgement is especially relevant to our podcast because we are discussing immigration today. And it is important for those living in the U.S. to remember that unless you are Indigenous, immigration by choice or by force is a part of your family story. Please extend the same kindness and understanding to the immigrants you encounter in your life as you would a family member. Time to introduce the team and the history of immigration in our families. So my name is Kaylin Ackerman. I am a senior at UNC Chapel Hill, majoring in environmental health sciences. I was born and raised in Indiana. My paternal grandmother immigrated from the Eastern Bloc of Germany after World War II in 1948. On my mom's side, two of her grandparents are immigrants, one from Sicily, another from England. And my name is Brenna Nunez. I'm also a junior at UNC Chapel Hill, majoring in advertising and public relations with a minor in studio art. I'm from a military family and grew up in Fayetteville, North Carolina most of my life near Fort Bragg Air Force Base. My mom immigrated to the US from Canada when she was nine with my grandparents and my dad grew up in Los Angeles, but his grandparents moved to the US from Mexico. My name is Elijah Larson, and I'm a junior at UNC, majoring in public relations and history. In my own family's history, my dad's grandparents immigrated from Sweden to the U.S. in the 1930s. But my mom's side is a little harder to trace. One time, I asked my grandpa where our family was from, and he said, Alabama. When I pushed further, he said, before that, Kentucky. Today, we are exploring how immigration policy has been and continues to be a nation-sanctioned weapon of exclusion and exploitation. To do so, Kaylin will first discuss the history of immigration policy in the U.S. Next, Brenna will speak with our two guests, Gwen and Jimena, who are from China and Mexico, respectively. Lastly, we will all hop on to discuss what we learned from Gwen and Jimena and the current state of immigration in this country. I'm going to switch it over to Kaylin so she can key us in on the history of immigration policy. Thanks, Elijah. Yes, I'm going to give a brief overview of immigration policy with a special focus on policy relating to China and Mexico before Gwen and Jimena join us. I have to admit, this is one of the rare times that I am happy to have kept my class notes. Shout out to Stephanie Shady, soon to be Dr. Shady, who is my immigration professor at UNC and passed this knowledge on to me. So we're going to start in 1864, a year that the US was embroiled in a civil war. The war induced major labor shortages and under the 1864 Immigration Act, more than 10,000 Chinese men were brought to the US to build the nation's railroad system in an arrangement that resembled indentured servitude. 18 years later in 1882, stoked by the frustrations of US born California workers, the infamous Chinese Exclusion Act became law. 
The Chinese Exclusion Act banned people of Chinese origin from becoming naturalized citizens. The next exclusionary law was the Immigration Act of 1917, also known as the Literacy Act, which made English speaking a requirement for admission into the US and established the Asiatic Barred Zone that banned granting visas to Asian migrants. Seven years later, the Johnson-Reed Act of 1924 disallowed even migrants who wanted to live in the US as non-citizens, marking a total ban on Asian migrants. This act also redesigned how visas were granted. Every year, visas were capped at 2% of the population totals by nationality, according to the 1890 census, which overwhelmingly favored immigration from Europe. Okay, we've reached our first piece of history relating to Mexican immigrants. In the 1930s, coinciding with the Great Depression, Border Patrol under the Hoover administration carried out mass deportations of Mexican immigrants. About a decade passed before the launch of the Bracero Program in 1942. The Bracero Program recruited roughly 5 million Mexican laborers to counter a labor shortage in the agricultural industry. Workers were promised competitive wages, free housing, insurance, and affordable food, but were ultimately subjected to abuse, no opportunity for citizenship, and unfulfilled promises. This program illustrates the theme once again that immigrants, particularly immigrants of color, are viewed as workers first and people second. Moving forward to the mid 20th century, the McCarran-Waller Act of 1952 changed the visa quota to one sixth of a percent of the US population, perpetuating discrimination against Asian migrants despite an explicit reversal of the ban on Asian migrants. In 1954, another mass deportation campaign against Mexican immigrants was undertaken by President Eisenhower. Then the Immigration and Naturalization Act of 1965 brought an end to nationality quotas in US policy. Since 1965, policymakers and the larger public consciousness have ushered in a new era of immigration policy targeting Latin America. The Immigration Reform and Control Act of 1986 discouraged the employment of undocumented immigrants, but fortunately expanded eligibility for permanent residency status. In 1990, the Immigration Act overhauled the visa system, prioritizing skilled labor and establishing a diversity lottery. Despite piecemeal progress, Operation Gatekeeper in 1994 strengthened the fencing and security personnel at the southern border. Militarized enforcement of unauthorized immigration was reinforced by the Homeland Security Act in 2002 that established Immigration and Customs Enforcement, ICE, that is. The Secure Communities Program, which has been on and off since 2008, encourages collaboration between ICE and law enforcement. In 2012, President Obama passed DACA, or Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, which extends protections to children who immigrated to the U.S. before June 15, 2007 assuming they meet additional criteria. Under the Trump administration, the now defunct zero tolerance policy resulted in rampant family separation and the migrant protections protocol, often called the remain in Mexico policy, has resulted in a humanitarian crisis as asylum seekers await trial in makeshift camps across the border. You may have noticed a pattern, but recent immigration policy has been dominated by executive orders, meaning that migrants' lives are increasingly precarious as they navigate the whims of one president to the next. All right, thanks for sticking with me. I know that was a lot. I'm tired of my voice, so I'm happy it's time for Brenna to speak with the stars of the show, Gwen and Jimena. Thanks, Kaylin. We're going to start with Gwen. 
Gwen emigrated from Jian, China to the U.S. with her family in 2001 when she was five months old. She grew up in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and through church, school, travel, and the community around her, she has been exposed to many elements of both Chinese and American life. What did your family think in general about living in America and the immigration process? I think people in China have this very glorified view of America, you know, because they, I mean, it's like a privilege to be here, obviously, but like, there's also so many problems here that I don't think the rest of the world fully recognizes, especially in China, because they just glorify everything we have here. Like, they definitely see it as a dream or a goal, you know, to come here. And like, I've had a few family members come here. And I remember like before they were all like, oh, like, this is what I really want. But then after getting here, they're like, oh, this is not exactly what I was expecting it to be. How have your other identities shaped your experience living in the U.S.? I feel like it's same in that being a minority in America is like really hard because of systemic racism and just racism in general. Um, but also it's different like coming from an East Asian country because we're like set up as the model minority. So like we have like these expectations and stereotypes to be like more quiet. And it's like the expectation of what others want us to be. So like good at school, like not really voicing our opinions, not really starting a lot of trouble. Being set as this model minority, it's like pitting us against other minorities being like, oh, this is what you guys should be like when it's not like that at all. And like older Chinese people who immigrate, like it's definitely different because since I've grown here all my life, like I fully like see myself as Chinese American, Asian American, like being American is such like an important root of my identity also. Meanwhile, I feel like the older you immigrate here, you you have like a deeper identity from your home country. Have you ever felt a pressure to assimilate? Are there practices or behaviors that you stopped engaging in to better fit in? It was like really hard for me younger, like especially in elementary school, because I grew up in like a traditional Chinese household. Um, There was that like culture difference between like my household life and then like my life at school and like at home, like I spoke strictly Mandarin and then at school I'd be speaking English. I'd get bullied for like what I would bring to lunch at school because I used to bring like these traditional Chinese meals before I got to the point where I was like, I'm tired of these kids making fun of me. Like, mom, let's go buy like Lunchables, you know? And so it became more of me trying to be like them instead of like accepting who I was. Eventually, like I realized how unique my culture was and how it is something very valuable. And I feel like as we got more educated, as I grew up, like the people I was hanging out with, they like grew up with me and started to also understand the importance of diversity and like learning to value um, different cultures. It's still something I'm learning to navigate and that, you know, I grew up like resenting my culture and who I am. It also made me like resent like all the things I had to do that came with that because my mom was an immigrant. These kids like they don't need to schedule their own like dentist appointment or like you know it was and it still is really hard to deal with all the biases that I picked up on as a kid and now it's like 
I'm still learning to deal with that. And like, I think at times, like, it was interesting to think about how if I had stayed in China and grown up in China, like how different my life would be. Thank you so much, Gwen, for sharing your experience with us. Next, we're going to talk to Jimena and hear what her experience has been like. Jimena arrived in the U.S. at the end of 2017. She was 17 years old, set to start high school in North Carolina once the semester started in January. Moving around wasn't new for Jimena. She was born in a small town in Mexico, but has moved around all of her life. But for Jimena, the U.S. seems to be her final stop as of now. Why did you come to the U.S.? All my life, I kind of wanted to live in the U.S. for everything I saw on like TV and stuff. It just seemed like a good idea. The thing, the American dream, as we call it, just like the the idea of like already being in the U.S., um, like getting my degree here, it would kind of just like get everything to where I wanted to be faster than if I stayed in Mexico and then tried to move here, you know? Have you noticed any patterns in how your experiences differ from the experiences of other immigrants you've known? I guess just from like seeing the Hispanic crowd in my school, I feel like people who moved like who moved here at a like later age, sort of like the same age as I did, like it all depends on like how well they know the language, I feel like. Cause from like in my school, you could tell immediately who knew English before or who was here like earlier in their life in comparison to the people who got here a little bit later and didn't really know the language because they would just hang out with each other and like speak basically only Spanish. The way I see it, it just felt like coming here without knowing the language kind of closed them off from making more relationships with the people who knew the language already. So like everyone who was here before, I guess. Have you felt a pressure to assimilate? Are there practices or behaviors that you stopped engaging in to better fit in? You know, always when I moved, I would always tell myself like, oh, I'll become sort of like this type of person just because I like from seeing every time I got to a new place, like all the other people who got there at the same time as me, I would see how they would like have like different paths than I would and seeing how they interacted with people and all that. I tried to like mimic that but like it only lasted like two minutes before I like gave in and you know went back to like being my true self I guess I could never do the thing of like being a completely different person just for like fitting in as much as I sort of wanted to it just didn't feel right how have your other identities shaped your experience living in the U.S.? Slowly but surely, I realized that I should claim or like start to connect a bit more with like my family on my dad's side. They're from Jordan. So like that Middle Eastern side of me um, that I've never really gotten to explore. I feel like not not necessarily a support group per se, but like people who would be there for me, like as I try to like figure out how I fit into all these like identities that I'm like exploring about myself. And then also like I being here, I realized that just because of the way I look, I do have white privilege. So I I would never be stopped and questioned um, about my residency status. Thank you so much, Jimena, for speaking with us. Now, Elijah and Kaylin will join in again to discuss what most struck us about our guest stories. Okay, um, I guess I can start. So uh, something that I gleaned from Gwen and Jimena's stories is how other identities intersected with their lived experience as immigrants in the United States. 
They both touched on race. Gwen spoke that being minoritized disconnected herself from many of her classmates and even from a love of her own culture. Whereas Jimena's ability to pass as white seemed to allow her to evade some of the suspicion and discrimination that are normally hurled at immigrants from Latin America. And they both mentioned age uh, as another important factor that mediated their experience as immigrants. Oh yeah, going with age, in Jimena's interview, I noticed that because she moved here during a time when she was nearly an adult and had already grown into herself, she seemed to be able to find more security in her developing identity. And she was also able to feel comfortable enough in her new surroundings that she didn't feel as much pressure to shed aspects of her identity. Elijah, what about you? I'm really interested by the emphasis that both Gwen and Jimena put on the differences between their expectations of America and then the realities that they live by being here. They both touched on like the glorification that the U.S. receives, both in the media and through people's thoughts and opinions of the nation. I think the ability to view the U.S. through a lens of being born somewhere else and knowing the culture and the life of another country is essential to being able to see what life here is truly like. Both Gwen and Humana have seen the strife for the quote-unquote American dream, and they had really amazing perspectives on the reality of their own dream as Americans. And here's the reality right now. Let's talk a little bit about what immigration policies look like in the U.S. under the Biden administration as of November 2021 when we were recording this. When Joe Biden was campaigning for presidency in 2020, he pushed for the eradication and reform of many Trump-era policies that separated families at the border and targeted immigrant communities in the U.S. While Biden has made some progress in holding up his campaign promises, he's also fallen short in more areas than one. Biden did not keep his promise to raise the refugee cap during the fiscal year to 125,000. In fact, he first kept the cap at 15,000, which was the same cap set by former President Trump but has now raised it to 62,500. Another shortcoming in his promise of immigration policy reform came with the extension of Title 42. Title 42 was a Trump-era rule that was created in an attempt to stop the spread of COVID-19 and holding facilities. Instead, all migrants are turned away at the border, even asylum seekers. Biden extending Title 42, however, has now allowed unaccompanied minors to enter the U.S., with the recent increase in the Haitian migrants at the border due to an ongoing humanitarian and political crisis in the country, Title 42 has had detrimental effects on these migrants, and Biden has been faced with a lot of criticism over the decision. Immigration advocates have also been calling on Biden to end another Trump era policy that has been going against Biden's promise to build a fair and humanitarian immigration system. In August, the Supreme Court reinstated the Migrant Protections Protocol, the policy that Kaylin mentioned earlier, which requires asylum seekers to stay in Mexico while awaiting trial. Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas stated in a memo in October, MPP has endemic flaws, imposed unjustifiable human costs, pulled resources and personnel away from other priority efforts, and did not address the root causes of irregular migration. Although he failed to keep his promises of ending some of Trump's existing policies, Biden was able to keep his promise of improving the pathway to citizenship with the creation of the U.S. Citizenship Act of 2021, which creates an eight-year pathway to citizenship and provides certain protections for undocumented immigrants. The U.S. Citizenship Act of 2021 
It's the largest legalization program in U.S. history. Okay, that's all I have. Any final things you want to share with our listeners, Brenna and Kaylin? Uh, yeah. Uh, so if you're looking for another podcast about immigration, please check out This American Life's The Out Crowd. Also, check out organizations in your area to see how you can support immigrants in your community. And lastly, a major thank you again to Jimena and Gwen for their time. Yes, and thank you for carving out time for us today. Hope y'all are doing well. We hope that y'all were able to learn something new or maybe just take away a message from our guest experiences. This episode of the Can You Hear Us Now podcast was produced as part of the class project for Mijo 441 Diversity and Communication at the Hussman School of Journalism and Media at UNC Chapel Hill. This episode was produced by Kaylin Ackerman, Elijah Larson, and Brenna Nunez and recorded on November 9th, 2021. Thanks for listening to the Can You Hear Us Now? Inclusivity in Media podcast. We hope you were able to expand your mind and shed some light on this week's topic regarding immigration policy and cultural attitudes toward immigrants. As always, we encourage you to take a closer look at the media you consume and don't be afraid to advocate for those who might not have a voice. Make sure to tune in next time when we discuss the Southeast Asian diaspora, framing immigration, and the assimilation or retention of culture. You can also head over to our website at CanYouHearUsNowPodcast.com to check out more information and resources relating to our episodes. Be sure to leave a like on this episode and subscribe to our program. See you next time. Thank you.